right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Brian. Hey, hey, there we go. Somebody's excited in the back. That's really good. All right. Uh, I don't know what to do after that. <laughs> hey, can we, uh, can we just give our worship team a hand for leading us this morning? We're going to get to the message in a minute. Uh, Gina does not want me to say anything, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, we're going to talk about it more across the street after when we have a meal together. But um, we just want to honor and recognize Gina for her years of service here. Um, we're so proud of what she's done here with our worship team. We're so proud of uh, what she and Mark have done with the tech stuff, etc. You might have seen some upgrades even recently that they've been a part of, had their hands in. And so um, we just want to say thank you to them. So I thought we might give them a round of applause as well, just to love on them a bit. And it, it may seem like an early retirement because Gina's only 35, you know? Yeah. She, Gina, you can pay me for that one later, okay? Uh, but we're just, we're thrilled to be able to celebrate this time with them. And again, we'll do some more of that across the street. But I just want to say thank you to them. Thank you to the worship team. Um, if you're a guest with us, this is your first time. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want to say thanks for being here. Uh, we want to welcome those that are joining us online via the live stream as well or uh, watching the, the video of this later in the week. We want to say welcome to you guys as well. Um, let me just reiterate a little bit of what was said during the announcements. Uh, we are actually beginning a series um, on August 17th and 18th. It's called The Story. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be walking cover to cover, straight through Scripture, all the key stories of the Bible. And what we're going to see as we do that over 31 weeks, we're going to start in August and go straight through to May of next year. Um, we're going to see the lower story, which is going to be principles and practical things that we can pull from those stories uh, to apply to our daily lives. But we're also going to see the upper story, the thread of grace that runs all the way from Genesis all the way to the other end of the book, all the way back to uh, Revelation. And we're going to see how the gospel has been threaded all throughout every word of the Old Testament, all the way through to every word of the New Testament. And so what it's going to do, it's going to allow you to piece the stories of Scripture together in a way that you've not been able to probably do in the past. Because as you well know, the Bible is not written in chronological order. It's not put together chronologically. But we're going to walk through cover to cover, and so we're really excited about it. And so what we try to do is make it very accessible for everyone to get one of these story Bibles, okay? So out in the lobby, right after the worship service, um, if you want to pick up one, we're selling them at cost for 10 bucks. And if you'll buy one, we're going to give you a second one for free. Now, the catch with that, as I think I said last week, um, you're going you're gonna to take that second one, and it's got a special card in it for you to invest and invite someone to come be a part of our series. Uh, maybe someone that's not plugged into church and is a Christian. Maybe it's someone that doesn't know Jesus yet. Maybe it's somebody at work that you've been trying to share Christ with, and they've had some questions about how Scripture kind of fits together. Um, it's a great opportunity to say, hey, we'd love to have you guys come and be a part of the story. So give them that, that second Bible. There's also some children's story Bibles out there as well, which are fantastic for family devotion times for all the families in the room with uh, young children or even, uh, you know, up to middle school, probably middle school or high school age as well. So that sound good? Everybody good with that? Good. All right. My guy in the back, you good with that? Yeah. There we go. All right. He's good. All right. He's good. That's good. So today what we're going to do is we're going to start a brand new series called Anxious for Nothing. Everybody say that with me. You ready? One, two, three. Anxious for Nothing. Sounds like a pretty high calling, doesn't it? Sounds like a pretty uh, tall request of us to be anxious about nothing. And what we want to do throughout this series over the next three weeks is we want to look at what Scripture says about anxiety. We want to talk about some realities in the world that we live in when it comes to anxiety and how we respond to that anxiety biblically. Now, again, I'm going to ask you to be very honest with yourself throughout this entire series um, if you're going to get the benefit of it. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to open your minds a little bit even today. Now, what we're going to do today uh, with this is this is going to be a little bit of an introductory message to it. 
Um, unfortunately, sometimes the topics that we choose to discuss, that God leads us to discuss from the pulpit, they can't be solved like your favorite sitcom in 20 minutes, okay? Uh, I'd love if we could present the problem and solve it by the end of our time today. Uh, but this is going to be one that stretches over the next three weeks. And so I would just encourage you to dig in, be here for all three weeks of that. In addition to that, as we're jumping in, we've made some resources available to everyone as well um, that are free of charge. So if you, if, at the connection point just outside in the lobby, there's some paperwork there that has some various books, podcasts, uh, counselors in the area, all these different things that would relate to this area of anxiety are there. Um, if you've downloaded our BCC app as well, there's a resource tab at the bottom of that homepage on the app, and they're all listed right there, phone numbers, contacts, all those different things. So make sure you're taking uh, uh, full, full advantage of those resources that we put together for you there, okay? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. God, we're grateful for the chance again to come before you. I'm grateful for the people um, that have gathered here today in your name. Uh, God, they came this morning expecting you to move in their hearts, and so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do just that. We pray that he would move freely in and out of every seat. God, I pray against the enemy, the, the courage that the enemy would steal from our hearts to do the next right thing you're calling us to do. I pray against that, Lord, and we just pray for strength for those dealing with anxiety right here in this room today. And God, we realize that whether or not we're dealing with it today, we'll likely be dealing with it at some time in the near future, or we have in our near past. And so, God, we want to respond to it the way you want us to respond to anxiety. And uh, so, we just ask for strength to do that, Lord. And we ask, as always, that you would help us to leave changed and not the same. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I was younger, um, I had, you know, you typically have birthday parties for young kids. Well, I remember my, my, my 10th, I think it was my 10th birthday party, uh, we were going to do a kind of a big deal. You know, you had the pizza, the cake, the ice cream, but my parents were like, we're going to actually let you do a sleepover, but we're not just any sleepover. We're going to do a camp out in a tent in the backyard. There's not much better than 10-year-old smelly boys in a tent in the backyard, you know? And so I was really excited about it. I invited several of my closest friends from school and from church, and so we had this, we were having this sleepover, this get-together. We got together, we had our cake, we had our ice cream. Well, my birthday day is in October. If you want to put it in your calendars, it's October the 25th, okay? Just go ahead and write that in there. Just, you know, just toss it out there, okay? Um, I'll tell you the list of things I like later. But October 25th happens to be very close to October 31st, which is Halloween. And in Halloween, you always have haunted houses. You have the haunted trails you can go on. Well, there was a haunted trail near our house. And what do 10-year-old boys love to do? We love to scare ourselves, pay money to scare ourselves. And so we went on this haunted trail ride. We went through. We had the life scared out of us. And the whole time we're at this haunted hayride, my dad, uh, he keeps telling us, he goes, hey, guys, have y'all heard about that machete man? And, I, and we were like, no. <laughs> and he said, yeah, there's this machete, man. He's doing terrible things to people all over the place with this machete. And, and like the last that they heard, he was on the loose in our area. And he continues to pepper this into our minds throughout the evening, continuing to bring up this terrible machete, man. Well, later on that evening, we'd had all our cake, ice cream. We'd play. We did the, the trail ride, the haunted trail ride. And we're laying in this tent, you know, seven people or eight people wide in our sleeping bags. And we're laying there in the tent in the backyard. We had a decent-sized backyard. And then we had a big uh, forest of woods right behind our backyard where a machete man would love to hang out, you know. And so we're laying there, and all of a sudden we hear this sound. Shh. We're like, what was that? What was that? None of us wanted to show that we were scared, but we were like, what is that? What is that? Well, a couple minutes went by, it went away. A few minutes later, it started up again. Shh, shh, shh. Like somebody rustling branches out in the woods. I'm like, ah, I don't know what that is. Well, I was going to be brave, and so I said, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll get up. I'll go check this out, guys. Just, just rest. I'll take care of this. So I get up, go out of the tent. We, our dog, Freckles, was in the backyard there in his pen, and uh, so I kind of went up to Freckles. I was scared out of my mind, but they, I had my back to them, and they couldn't see my face. And so as I walk up, I pet for, hey, everything okay? And I can still hear this. Shh, 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 shh out in the woods. 
Well, finally, after a minute or two, it stopped, and I was thankful because I didn't really want to have to deal with it anyway by myself. Went back and got in the tent. Well, we're laying there, and we're getting more and more scared by the minute because all we're thinking about is that silly haunted trail that we had done, the machete man that my father had warned us about, and now we hear this constantly. Well, all of a sudden, the shh got louder and louder and louder, and then out of nowhere, we hear the whole tent starts shaking. I'm not kidding. The whole thing's shaking. All of our bravery went out the window, and like a choir of schoolgirls, this was the sound, boom, in the house and close the door. We thought the machete man was going to kill us. Now, if you hadn't figured it out by this point in the story, my father was the machete man, okay? <laughs> not a real machete man. He didn't kill anybody, but he was acting like he was one in order to scare us. And I have still not forgiven him for that prank to this day because he embarrassed me in front of my 10-year-old friends and they still make fun of me because of it. Now, but you know, you, you probably have a funny story like that from your childhood. Maybe, maybe it's a, a story where, you know, you were afraid even as an adult that's funny. But we've also got times in our lives when there are fearful things that really are serious and scary. But here's the thing about fear that's interesting. Sometimes fear can actually be good for us. Um, if, if uh, you know, if you're, I don't know how, how much you've studied the, the human brain lately, but I've done a little bit of studying in that. And there's actually uh, two small parts of your brain that are called amygdala. Everyone say amygdala. So they're tiny. It's named, the, the, the name actually means almond because they're tiny almond-shaped little, little uh, items that are on either side of the brain. You have two of them in your brain. And the amygdala in your brain, they produce chemicals to help you know when to be afraid and when not to. They communicate with the hypothalamus. They, they instinctively put in that fight-or-flight system that we all know is, is present in us. Um, it's what allows you to have that instant rush of energy or that instant alertness when you get afraid. And the amygdala help you process what to fear. And more than that, they keep you from doing things that would harm you. So this is what keeps you from running out into the street in the middle of traffic. This is what keeps you from putting your hand back on a hot stove again. That's the amygdala doing its job. This is what keeps you from putting your hands out there near a snake or a spider because snakes are from the devil. Someone say amen. amen. Thank you. I knew you guys were my kind of people. I hate snakes. I hate them. Give me a hundred spiders, but I hate snakes. Snake, this is what keeps you from that. As a matter of fact, there's a few people in this world that have been bored without amygdala in their brains. And there's a few that have had operations because of medical complications that have them removed. And when they do that, it's the most bizarre thing. They have no fear of anything. They've studied these people. They've watched their lives. They'll, they'll literally walk out into the middle of a highway without any fear or any reservation whatsoever. Nothing holding them back. They've put them in the room with snakes. And they've done this experiment on monkeys as well where they've removed the amygdala. They put the monkeys in there. There's no fear of snakes. Humans are exactly the same way. They'll get in there and they'll act as if the snake is just a ribbon or a piece of rope. And it's a, it could be a, a very harmful thing to them. That thing that holds you back from doing things that hurts you, it's no longer present in them. And it's to their detriment. And they find themselves in some pretty precarious situations. But fear can help us in that way when it holds us back in certain situations. But here's the question I want, I want to ask you, and I want you to kind of let this resonate throughout the series. What happens when your fear keeps you from doing things that you want to do or need to do? What happens when your fear keeps you from reaching your full potential in your life? See, I think that's when fear becomes what many of us would call uh, anxiety, and, and anxiety is the result of fear moving from concern or caution to distress and to worry. And if we're all honest in here today, every single one of us deals with this, this attitude or this situation of anxiety, the issue of anxiety. Anxiety can be the result of fear that turns into this crippling situation 
where you're held back from things that you know you want to do or maybe that God's called you to do. But the enemy has the ability, Satan has the ability to use anxiety to hold us back from being all God wants us to be as his people. And let's be honest, in our world, aren't there countless things daily that tempt us to be anxious? I mean, maybe even this very morning as you woke up, you might have wondered, am I going to be able to pay the rent this month? Will will my child get over this sickness? Like, will the economy hit another recession like it did a few years ago? Will terrorists attack our country again? Will Will my mom or my dad be healed from this cancer? Will I get cancer? Will I ever get married? Will my marriage last? Will I ever be able to retire? These are all things that the enemy can use to make us become anxious. And in a sense, it's a way that he can cripple us and keep us from doing what God's called us to be and how God has called us to function. That's what I want to talk to us about for the next three weeks. Now, here's the good news. We aren't the first people to ever struggle with anxiety. This has been going on since the fall of man, and we're going to see here in the letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, if you want to turn there, Philippians 4. uh, We're going to see that even 2,000 years ago, there were people that dealt with this issue of anxiety. Now, let me give you a little context as you're turning to Philippians 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the seat back, and we'll also put it up here on the screen for you to read. Paul's writing to a church that he planted in the city of Philippi, okay? Uh, It's a Roman colony on the Mediterranean Sea. It'd basically be what modern-day Greece is, right about in that that general area. He planted this church. He cares deeply for these people, but Paul is in prison or at least under house arrest. There's kind of some debate on that. And as he writes this letter to the Philippians, this is what he commands them to do. Everybody look with me. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious. Everyone say anxious. About anything. Do not be, what's the word? About anything. Isn't that a tall request? I mean, my instant response to someone saying this to me, and Paul saying it here by way of inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying it to us, my instant response is, Paul, like, I get that maybe I shouldn't be anxious about little things day to day, but don't you know every day there are things that are out there that could take our lives or take the joy from our lives? There are, there are heavy things that every one of us has to deal with. How do you mean I can't be, like, I'm not allowed to be anxious about anything? I mean, Paul, don't you have bills to pay? I mean, I've got bills to pay, and sometimes I worry if I'm going to be able to pay those bills. Paul, don't you have any health concerns? I mean, weren't you the guy who wrote about the thorn in your flesh that you were asking God to take away? You mean you aren't anxious about that at all? Paul, aren't you in prison right now as you write us this very letter? You're telling me you're not anxious about any of that? You don't have any anxiety over that, but yet Paul says, don't be anxious about, what's the word? Anything. It is a tall request. But here's the thing. I think we can see a few specifics from this statement that I want us to kind of talk about today. And I want us to kind of introduce this idea of anxiety to you. A few truths that I think we can kind of uh, distill from what Paul's telling us here. The first one says, if you're taking notes, anxiety is real and you don't have to hide it. Anxiety is real and you don't have to hide it. See, the fact that he's telling us not to be anxious means anxiety is present. It means it's a real thing that needs to be identified, and we need to work through it. The fact that he's telling them, don't be anxious, he's addressing this issue to these people that he loves in this letter, means it's a reality even for people 2,000 years ago. And he's not the only one who tells us not to be anxious. Roughly 365 times throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you know what we're told? Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Be not afraid. 
take courage. We're told this over and over and over again, so he's not the only one giving us this reminder. And you've got to remember the audience to which Paul was writing here. The setting here that Paul's speaking into is one where many people in the church of Philippi are suffering and anxious. Some scholars would say even the whole theme of the book of Philippians is really suffering. All right, some would argue that it's joy and suffering, but, but ultimately it's suffering. These people are dealing with the realities of living in a godless culture, much like many of us are today. See, they were in a culture where Jesus worship wasn't the, the norm of the day, but emperor worship was. And they absolutely would feel anxious and they were afraid of suffering. In fact, they're watching their very leader who's been locked up, who's writing them this letter. And I have no doubt in their minds they're thinking, well, if Paul can be locked up, what's going to happen to us? I mean, we're not even as strong as him. We don't have as much faith as him. Like, I, I, I would feel very anxious if I were one of them as well. I have no doubt that they were worried about many of their freedoms being taken away in the future because of the culture that surrounded them. And this is where they found themselves, as Paul writes them the letter in the imperative. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, the people in Philippi were dealing with one of the first kinds of anxiety I want us to talk about today. We're going to talk about two today and one next week, okay? And let me just say this too. This is not an an exhaustive list. This is not an all-inclusive series, okay? There's There's going to be custom situations. There are going to be other anxieties that we don't have time to talk about. This is what I really feel like we as a church need to hear right now. So let me just put that out there on the front end. The kind of anxiety that people in Philippi were dealing with right now that Paul's addressing is this one. It's the fear of potential loss. The fear of potential loss. Fear of potential loss is an anxiety that results from an inability to control your circumstances. You ever been there? You might have been there this week. You might have carried some of that anxiety in with you this morning to this very service. You could call this the the fear of what if. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my house? What if I lost one of my kids? What if I lost my spouse. Some of you might want that one. I don't know, you know. Uh, what if, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. What if I lost my spouse? What if something bad happens to our family? What if we get sick? What if I get cancer, right? These are all things that we have no control of, but we're tempted to be anxious about these things. It's this fear of potential loss of something that we love or place value in. And the fear of potential loss, this is what's interesting about it. It can actually keep us and hold us back from enjoying things that God intends for us to enjoy in the now. This this is what I believe. I think we often allow the fear of the future to rob us of our present. We often allow the fear of potential loss in the future to rob us in our present. And I want to ask you this question. What has the fear of potential loss kept you from or robbed you from in your life? What thing have you not been willing to step out in faith and maybe do because you've got this fear of what might happen, what might be taken away? Something of great value could be lost if I do this thing and the enemy has crippled you. He's held you back, in in a sense, from doing what God has called you to do or enjoying what God's called you to enjoy and given us to enjoy. See, some of you under the sound of my voice, you, you sit down at family dinner and you can't enjoy a family dinner with your wife and your children because you're so worried about a situation at work with your boss, and you have no control over it whatsoever. And yet the enemy steals the joy, steals the opportunity that's in front of you, robs you of your present because of a fear about something potentially that you might lose in the future. You guys with me? Pastor's been there. Absolutely, I've been there. 
You know, maybe some of you came in this morning and you're having a hard time focusing on what I'm talking about right now because you're worried about a bill that came in and the mortgage is due or the rent's due and you're wondering, how am I going to pay for this? And the enemy is, is messing with your mind and telling you, you know what, you might lose something you value in the future if you don't focus on it hard right now. You guys have been there? The enemy is a master at robbing us of our present with fear of the future. And this this fear of potential loss, what it really is at its core, it's an attempt at controlling the uncontrollable. It's an attempt of controlling the uncontrollable. And the reality is, the more you try to control your life, the more you try to dictate outcomes, the more anxious you're going to be. The more you try to control your life, the more anxious you're going to be. Because you can't control everything. You can't control the economy. You can't control if a terrorist attacks our country again. You can't control your health. Now, there are things we can do to help that. But at the end of the day, we can't fully control it. You can't control if someone in your family gets cancer. There are so many things that we're tempted to be anxious about. And the enemy can use it, that fear of potential loss, to create anxiety in us now in the present. And it robs us of what God has for us individually, as a church, as a family, in the present, because we're worried about something in the future. Someone say amen. I know it's real. I know it's heavy, and I know that's something that every single one of us deals with. And Paul's acknowledging it. He says, anxiety is real. Now, the other kind of anxiety I want us to spend a couple minutes talking about is one that, uh, it's another area that we don't have control of. See, the one we just talked about, circumstantial anxiety, right? The circumstances happen around us that we can't control, and in our attempt to control them, right, that we, we get anxious, right? Uh, a lack of trust maybe in a given situation causes us to be anxious. This next one is one where you don't have control actually at all in any part of it, any choice in the matter. And I'll just tell you this, I think this is an area of anxiety that the church has done a very poor job of dealing with. It's almost one we refuse to address. And I just want to say personally, on behalf of the church across the world, I'm sorry for the shame for the rejection, for the isolation we've projected on those of you in the room who are going to deal with this next kind that we're talking about. That kind of anxiety is, is this. It's, it's anxiety that results from mental health situations. See, I think we as a church have done a terrible job in how we handle people that deal with mental health situations. And it, it's not just our church. It's all churches. We've got this attitude of, well, we're just going to fix them. You just need to have more faith. You just need to pray harder, and that'll fix it. Now, there's times, listen, that that is the right thing to say, Okay. But so often, and we're finding this more and more and more, that tons of people deal with this issue of mental health. And here's the reality. We live in a fallen world, don't we? See, because of the, maybe you don't know the Bible, maybe you're here for the first time. You know, in, 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 we're told in the book of Genesis that when Adam and Eve sinned, they were not only cursed spiritually, but they were cursed physically. Now, thankfully, praise God, he's given us a fix for the spiritual side, Amen. He sent Christ to pass us or to move us from death into life by way of salvation in the now. You have victory spiritually in the now. But when it comes to our bodies, listen, our bodies are cursed and they're fallen. I don't care what anybody says. You can eat organic till you're blue in the face. It's not going to make you live forever, all right? You're not living forever. You can run, you can run a marathon every day to stay healthy. That's, th neither of those are bad things, by the way. It ain't going to make you live forever, I, I've seen people, and they have this opinion, well, if we get this right with our diet, we get all good things, as Olaf would say, right? Listen, but listen, that's not going to make you live forever because we have fallen bodies. They're broken. I've seen people in, the peak, in, in their, their peak of fitness in their lives drop dead with a heart attack. See, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. But my point is this. 
our bodies are fallen. This is why we deal with things like cancer and allergies and knee replacements and hip replacements and whatever your custom medical situation is. This is why when we get to heaven, we're going to get new bodies. So your soul is eternal, but you're actually going to get a new body when you get to heaven. And I don't know about you guys, when I get there, I'm requesting a body that, does, that has skin that doesn't burn and that tans, okay? Because we're going to be closer to the sun, and that ain't going to end well for me up there. You know what I mean? Like, I want, I want this cruel joke of the ginger to be gone. I want to be tan, just for once, and not spray tan, real tan, you know? But listen, we're going to get new bodies when we get to heaven. Listen, this is real. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. You can go back and read it later. Don't turn there now. He says, all of creation groans in expectation for the restoration and redemption to come. See, there's something in creation. See, this world is not running the way it was supposed to originally run. This isn't the paradise. Now, God can still be enough in the midst of it. And we don't need to walk around glooming and dooming. But the reality is the world around us is not functioning as it was intended to function because of sin. And the result of that is our bodies are not functioning as they should, as they were originally designed in their paradisical, I'm going to get that word right, paradisical state. It's the reality. We have fallen bodies that are broken and they're hurting. And when it comes to this issue of mental health, believe it or not, the American Psychological Association, they did a study and they found that one out of five people, one out of every Five people has a diagnosable mental disorder. Some big, some small, you know, some were major, some were minor. But one out of five, that's a lot of people that you rub shoulders with. That's a lot of people in this room, maybe that you're sitting next to. It might even be yourself. And here's the thing. For so long, you've beaten yourself up and you felt like, oh, I just don't have enough faith. I must not trust Jesus enough. And you've been made to feel this guilt and this shame. And it may be that you need to just go seek some professional help. I don't think as a church we talk enough about this issue, but it's a reality. It really is. And I want to do this. I want to give those in the room who deal with this. And I'm just going to tell you, the last couple services, I've had, I don't know how many people come to me afterwards and say, thank you for saying what you said, because I've been dealing with this for years. And it it is all over the place. Let me give you this. Can I give you this liberty? Can I give you this permission? If you deal with clinical anxiety or depression, listen, listen, our, our culture our culture has a pill, a pill for every, every situation. I'm not saying that's the case here. But, but if, you, if you really do struggle from clinical anxiety or depression, first of all, I'm sorry for the way the church has dealt with you. And second of all, let me give you permission and liberty to go seek professional help, to get medication if that's really what's needed, to have some time of therapy if that's what's needed. And I'm sorry for all the times that the church has just told you, you just need to trust Jesus, you don't trust him enough. Jesus can take that away. Yes, he can take that away. In the same way, he can take cancer away when we pray for it, but he doesn't always do it, does he? More often than not, we see our faith shaken because we think it's God's job to fix all the painful things in our lives. But what if he's using those painful things in our lives like cancer or mental anxiety, clinical depression to draw us nearer to himself? We're going to get there and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. So come back two weeks from now, we're going to talk about that. But listen, this is something that's very, been very close to home to our family. I'll just tell you. I'm going to be pretty transparent this morning. Um, I, I don't struggle with anxiety myself. Um, my wife, Sonia, and she's given me permission to talk about this. Uh, she, about two years ago, she started dealing with, with clinical anxiety and depression. And uh, initially, we did what most people do. We, you feel bad about it. You feel like you're not enough. You feel like you're, you're crazy or something. And we prayed and we asked God, God, take this away. We don't know what's going on. And eventually it got to a point where we we're like, we need to seek out some professional help. Because what was happening is in the night, she'd wake up with a panic attack in the middle of the night. 
Wake up feeling like she was having a heart attack, like she couldn't breathe, really cold everywhere. And I just had to sit there and hold her in the night as she got through it. And I'm going to tell you, it was hard and it was heavy. And it still is some days even now because God's not chosen to take it away yet. And he may not. And we've, we've kind of come to grips with that. But here's what was so hard. In the midst of it, having people that say they love you and have your best interests at heart tell you, you just need to pray to Jesus and make him take that away. You don't, you don't need medication. You don't need, to take, you don't need to take a pill for that. Jesus is bigger than that. Yes, Jesus is bigger than that. But in the same way we would deal with some other physical situation, there's nothing wrong with seeking professional help when it comes to clinical anxiety and depression. You guys with me? Listen, she wasn't laying there stewing and worrying in the middle of the night about some situation that she could fix. She was sleeping and would wake up out of that into a panic attack. That is a chemical imbalance situation is exactly what that is to a T. And for some reason, for so many years, the church has just thrown this, these Jesus juke statements at people that are dealing with anxiety and depression, and it's got to stop. And we've got to come around these people and love these people, give them permission to get the help they need when it comes to anxiety of this shape and form. But unfortunately, we've not done that. What I think is interesting, I, I personally have asthma. I've had it since I was a kid. And I carry an inhaler with me, especially when I'm outside. If I'm going to be around allergens that stir up my asthma, I just carry an inhaler. And, um, and so, um, you know, I've never once had anybody, when I pull out my inhaler and take a puff, say, you need to just throw that thing away, man. You, don't, you just need to have some faith. Jesus, Jesus is bigger than asthma. You, 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 don't, you don't need that inhaler. Just throw that thing away. I've never once had anybody tell me that. You've probably never had anyone criticize you for taking Claritin for your allergies, have you? No. And yet, when it comes to this area of mental health, we, we've, we've almost pushed these people into a corner. We've made them isolate themselves. We've created this, this shame zone that we make them live in when they're dealing with, with mental health issues. And so I pray that just us even having this conversation this morning would bring some freedom for many of the people here this morning under the sound of my voice. I pray that, that you would receive that apology and that we would begin a conversation about it and that we would allow people and give permission to get the professional uh, help that they need because these mental health issues are very much like any physical issue that you'd face that you and I have probably gone to the doctor for this week or this past month. Unfortunately, because of the stigma that we've placed on it, what happens is people that deal with this they're often afraid to say when they're afraid because of the stigma we've placed on it in the church. We're, we're afraid to tell someone about what's going on. We're afraid to actually get the help that we need. And the enemy does something that he's so good at when you're struggling. This is true of anxiety. This is true of any other sin that you're wrestling with. Listen, he does this. He, he tells you you're the only one. And you isolate yourself, which makes it even worse I think one of the greatest tactics, one of the greatest things in the enemy's arsenal is telling you you're alone in your struggle. One of the most empowering things for me and Sonia as we were walking through this, and it's been going on for the last uh, about two years now, was about six months into the whole thing, I was talking with a good friend of mine uh, who's a very well-accomplished uh, man, uh, you, he, very successful, loves Jesus. Um, you would never know anything was going on in his mind. And what was so powerful for us is, as I'm sharing with him what Sonia's going through, he says, yeah, I used to wrestle with the same thing. I used to have to take medication, and it was a season for me. And, and, and eventually God saw fit to let me out of it. But he still had issues even now. And there was something so comforting and so healing and so empowering and encouraging to know we weren't the only ones. 
We weren't out in left field by ourselves, that there are other people around us that are dealing with the exact same thing. And so if you're here today and you're struggling with this, whether it's clinical anxiety, whether it's circumstantial anxiety like we began with, listen, I want you to know this. Not only is anxiety real and you don't have to hide it, but number two, anxiety is real and you're not alone. You are not alone with what you're wrestling with. There are others just like you in this room, and there are others that are willing to come around you in this room to encourage you and comfort you and help you. That's why this church is here. We want to be a body of believers that, that acts like we actually all are members of the body of Christ, that when one part of us is hurting, that the other parts come alongside and try to help and heal that part. That's why we're here. That's one of the reasons that we gather. And here's the thing. You know, it's, it's interesting as you look through Scripture, there's so many people that dealt with mental health situations in Scripture. Do you know that? If you read your Bible, the Old Testament is really fascinating. I know it doesn't get a lot of love these days, right? But when you read the Old Testament. There are some fascinating stories in there. Um, Elijah, one of the prophets, godly, godly man. He was the one who heard the words from God and would tell them to the people, okay? He was the, he was the walking uh, audible of the day for the Bible. That's what he was, all right? That's what he was. This man was being chased by a, by a wicked king, Ahab, and his wicked, wicked wife, Jezebel. You might remember the story from Sunday school. He's so worked up and anxious about the situation, he sits down and asks God to kill him. He does. This man's on talking terms with God, literally hears the voice of God often and talks to God, and he says, God, kill me. I don't deserve to live. Just kill me. Got to the point of being suicidal. That's a mental health situation. How about another one? Jonah. You guys remember the story of Jonah and the big whale from when you were in Sunday school or maybe VBS? Here's the thing we don't often realize or remember about Jonah. See, we knew about the big whale that was coming because we had flannel graphs, right? <laughs> right? You guys have been in church a long time. You know what that is. We knew the whale was coming. Jonah didn't know the whale was coming, did he? What was Jonah doing when he jumped overboard? He was committing suicide. He had no idea there was going to be a whale come swallow him up. Could you imagine in his wildest dreams that he think that was going to happen, that a whale was going to keep him in there for a few days and spit him out? I mean, that's ludicrous. No, he was so anxious, so worked up about his situation that he was willing to commit suicide. This is what I'm talking about. How about King Saul? King Saul was crazy, right? He would, the scriptures tell us that he would have David come in and, and play his harp to calm his spirit is what it said. How about David? Man after God's own heart. This guy gets a lot of love in scripture as being a really good guy, right? Read the Psalms. Go home and read a few of the Psalms today. He's almost bipolar. Now he'll start out in the pit of despair, ready to end it all. And then halfway through, his twin brother or something jumps in and writes the rest of the chapter. I don't know. He'll, he'll, he'll be, God is great. He is on his throne. And like 10 seconds earlier, he's like, God, it's all over. Where are you? Is there a God? We see it all through Scripture. Listen, you're not alone in your anxiety. Whether it's circumstantial, whether it's clinical, you're not alone alone. There's a community here of people that are dealing with the same things. There's a community here that, that want to wrap their arms around you in the middle of your anxiety. We've actually created a little video. I want you guys to turn your eyes to the screen. I think this will help it make a little more sense. The anxiety is real, but you're not alone. You heard that last interview. Say, don't struggle alone. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you need to feel shame about it or, or isolate yourself from other people because of it. God's given us this beautiful thing called the church and called community where we can wrap our arms around one another and say, you know what, I might not be struggling with what you're struggling with, but I love you and I care for you and I'm here for you. That's what the church does with one another because we're members of the body of Christ. 
See, I, I think God's toolbox is bigger than we give him credit for sometimes. I think God may be using anxiety to bring many of us together as we should be. And see, what people need when they're dealing with anxiety is not someone to come up and say, you just need to trust God more. They know that. We're going to trust God. We're going to pray. We're going to talk about that next week. So come back. But what they need is someone to come alongside them and say, I'll be there for you. I love you. Your situation is not inconvenient for me. I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to be there with you through it. And that's the beauty of community. Listen, anxiety is real, but you're not alone in what you're facing today. Amen? Can I close with this? Anxiety is real, and you don't have to hide it. Anxiety is real, but you're not alone. But I just want to tell you as we wrap up, just in closing, anxiety is real, and God cares. God cares about your anxiety. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God cares about what you're going through. Whether it's circumstantial anxiety and you're trying to control a situation, whether it's clinical anxiety, depression, like we've been talking about for the last few minutes, God cares about what you're going through and he can empathize with you. I was reading Hebrews 4 this week, just in my quiet time, and one of the verses just stuck out to, to me as I was reading in regards to this, this message. It just kind of lit up. It says, uh, we don't have a high priest, talking about Jesus, we don't have a high priest that can't, empath- that, that can't empathize with our sufferings. Because we have a high priest who is tempted in all ways, just like we are, yet without sin. Your heavenly Father knows and he understands what you're dealing with. And he cares. And you know what else that verse tells me? That Jesus was tempted to be anxious as well. If he was tempted in all points like we are, there, were a, there was points in his earthly life where he was tempted like we are every day to be anxious. And he knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. And I just want you to know, I think Jesus wants you to know this. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. You've got a community of believers around you that wants to help you through it. You have a heavenly Father who cares about what you're dealing with. I want you to come back next week because here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how we deal with anxiety. What do we do? We're going to talk about how God's bigger than anxiety even when we bring that anxiety on ourselves.